Good morning, church. Jonah 2, 1 through 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is God's word. You may be seated. Those words should kind of jolt us this morning. The last words of that text. A fish vomited out a human being on dry land. Isn't that weird? I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves for a moment. Man, the Bible is filled with some weird stuff, isn't it? It's filled with some weird stuff. It's filled with some miraculous stuff. I said this a couple weeks ago in the beginning of our series because I believe that the book of Jonah is a true story. I don't think it's an allegory. I think it's real. I think it's true. And you might think I'm crazy for believing that. But let me tell you, the Bible espouses some crazier things than that. I mean, two by two, the animals go marching in, hoorah, hoorah, into the ark, and they don't kill each other. That's a miracle. I mean, I would put that as more of a miracle than a fish swarming a human human being. Or maybe the parting of the Red Sea when Moses is given a stick and says, here, do this with it. And then the Red Sea parts and the Israelites walk from one side to the other and the Egyptians are chasing after them and they make it out onto the other side. And those who are their enemies who are in hot pursuit come under the wrath and judgment of God and are killed. That was a miracle, wasn't it? Or how about this, that God became flesh, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect and sinless life, died a sinner's death, was put into a dark tomb without life, and three days later, the Holy Spirit quickened him to life, and through that resurrection, comes the resurrection of all who would trust in him and believe in him and thus receive eternal life. How about that for a miracle? So in my opinion, Jonah doesn't make the top 10 list of miracles. And that miracle, the miracle of Jesus is the greatest miracle. And that's the miracle that Jonah points us to. Let let me ask you this question. Are you running from God? Are you running from God? At times, right? Jonah, I don't know if he knew he was running from God. 
before God called him to Nineveh. You see, we all have these certain boundary markers in life to where we kind of think we're falling after God. As long as God's working within those boundary markers that we set. And as soon as God goes outside of those boundary markers, we say no. Let me tell you that when Jonah did that, he was running from God far before he went down to Joppa and got a one-way ticket to Tarshish. He was running from God long before that because God kind of came inside those boundary markers and says, here I am, Jonah. Will you trust me? Will you listen to me? And Jonah went down to Joppa. And he went down into the ship. And he went down into the sea. And he went down into the belly of fish, of the fish. And he realized that salvation belongs to the Lord. Sometimes you have to go down before you go up, right? Sometimes you have to go down before you go up. There's a pastor uh, who spoke at a conference a few weeks ago. We were at um, the Acts 29 Global Gathering where pastors and ministry leaders from all around the world that are part of Acts 29 uh, church planting movement gathered here in Orlando uh, to see and celebrate and to also see that the work of God would continue through our churches, through our lives. And so it was really a time for encouragement, for conviction, for refueling us for the days ahead. And in closing, the, the pastor who gave the closing keynote address or sermon was Matt Carter out of Austin Stone in Austin, Texas. And Matt Carter uh, said, he said, I, I was a pastor on the run. And he wasn't talking about 20 years ago, and he wasn't talking about 10 years ago. He was talking about a short period of time ago. He was a pastor that's on a run. He's got a large church in Austin, Texas, a church that we, we very much respect and learn a lot from. Some of the songs, actually, that they sing there, you'll hear sung uh, here at Cross Point Downtown. He says, as a pastor on the run, I'd become so disillusioned with ministry, so disillusioned with life, so disillusioned with the church, so disillusioned with God that I just wanted out. He says, I was on a hunting trip with a billionaire businessman who's a friend of his. He says, I, I was on this hunting trip and this friend begins to talk about his company and some things he wants to see done in his com company and he wants to see this spiritual atmosphere that becomes front and center in his company and he wanted to hire Matt to be in charge of that. And he said he would give him $1.3 million a year. Uh, you, you pay me far, far too less. I'm sorry. Uh, that's a little side note. Um, and so he's like, uh, uh, okay. No sooner than when he said yes, his phone rings or vibrates, I guess, whatever it does. It doesn't really ring anymore, does it? His phone rings. He answers the phone and he had a biopsy done on something a few weeks prior to this, and it was the doctor calling, and the doctor said, you have cancer. And so he says, in that moment, he says, okay, I, I got to go. And he says, hey, let me out right here. I'm going to have somebody pick me up. Uh, I, I got to go. I found out I have cancer. And then in this kind of rush of a week, a few days later, he, he gets a call in the middle of the night and his, his son calling frantic because he just got into a, a very 
very horrible car accident. The car, the truck spinned around a few times. By God's grace, he walked out unscathed, but yet it was a jolting wake-up call for Matt. And then, not too long after that, he got another call. This is why we don't even pick up our phones these days, right? He got another call, and it was the FBI. He found out there was a plot to take his life, the plot for murder upon him from some members in his church, ironically enough. And he says, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? And so that Sunday, he was supposed to preach, and he had already arranged that he couldn't preach that Sunday because the week had been so difficult. But he said, I'm going to bring my family to church. We're going to church that Sunday. And there was a new campus pastor preaching over this particular campus that he was at. And he was sitting in the front row, and he said that the words of the pastor who was preaching just ministered to him in that time. And it was the book of Jonah. And he said, I realized I was a pastor on the run. And, and this pastor who was preaching that particular week was new at the church. And he said, I, I don't know if you guys normally do this here, but I really am feeling led to pray for those of you who are on the run from God. And I'd like for you to stand. <laughs> and Matt Carter, the pastor of the Austin Stone Church, is the first to stand up and to ask for prayer and say, I'm running from God. Would you pray for me? I wonder if we might be so honest today to say, you know what, I've got those boundaries in my life and I'm not going to let God in, not going to let God in, not going to let God in. Here's the thing. You could be in church running from God, but yet God is so faithful and so loving that he is willing to strike you with a severe mercy in order that you would see his grace and beauty like you would not have been able to see otherwise. And this is what happened with Jonah. I mean, if you look at chapter 1, verse 17, that's another miraculous verse right there. And the Lord appointed. <laughs> he appointed a great fish. Has anybody ever seen a fish been trained before? Right? Anybody ever seen a fish been trained before? Dolphins and whales don't count. Right? No. No, but God appointed a great fish. I mean, could you imagine fish? You're up. All right, let's go. <laughs> and Jonah is sinking down into the great sea, and the fish swallowed him whole. I mean, you know, people have been swallowed by fish before, but they're never swallowed whole. It doesn't happen that way. And they don't certainly get vomited out three days later. And so Jonah must have been as he's sinking down into the depths of the oceans and he thinks his life is over and then all of a sudden, gulp, he's swallowed by a fish. He was like ecstatic for a moment. Oh, I'm alive. I'm alive. Oh no, I'm alive. In the belly of a fish. Let's get away from the allegory of this for a moment. Jonah is not in the middle of what appears to be the rib cage and seeing and moving and walking about freely and pulling out his iPhone trying to see where he's at. It's not where it's absolutely disturbing the situation he's in. I have a fear of confined dark places without clear exit signs, right? 
I have a fear of that. This is my greatest fear. <laughs> that I would be swallowed alive by a giant fish or I'd be stuck in some place where I don't know where it is. I don't know when I'm going to get out. I don't know if I'm going to survive. I mean, that must have been a 72 hours of hell for Jonah. But there it was, stuck in the belly of the giant fish, running from God. It was a mercy that he would have never wanted but it was in mercy that he would have never, it, without that mercy, he would have never survived. Because the story of Jonah doesn't stop at verse 3. And Jonah went to Tarshish. That would have been horrible. That's punishment right there. When God lets you go in your sin, instead of calling you out of your rebelliousness and running, when God lets you go, that's punishment. Punishment isn't when God strikes us with a severe mercy in order to be jolted or awakened to his love for us. But punishment is when we don't realize it and we just go on as life without normal and don't have the opportunity to acknowledge the mercy and grace of God in the hardship of life, and in the middle of that hardship, given the opportunity to trust and depend upon God. I want us to notice five different things from this passage. One, I want us to notice that in this prayer, that Jonah cries out to God. The second thing I want us to notice is that he longs for the presence of God. The third thing I want us to notice is that he hungers for the word of God. The fourth thing I want us to notice is that he has compassion on others. And the last thing, number five, is that he pursues holiness. Those five things that we see in the prayer of Jonah. Um, let's start with number one. He cries out to God. Uh, Tony Carter says this. He says, when you decide to move away from God, your life is steadily on a downward spiral. If you belong to God, however, the Bible says your rebellion is a concern to God. And like a loving father, he's going to discipline you. Have you ever seen undisciplined kids? You ever seen kids that don't have discipline in their life? Yeah, your kids, Ryan. There, that's a, yeah, I've seen that. No, I mean, well, maybe, yeah, okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> But it's a curse, isn't it? To have a father who's unwilling to discipline their kids is unloving. Unwilling to deal with the hard things of these child, children's lives means that as the children grow older, they're going to feel this separation from their father instead of a love. And so God's discipline, God's kindness is when he gives, these, gives us these severe mercies in order to grow us in order to discipline us, in order to train us up in the way we should go, in order that when we grow old, we won't depart from it. That's, that's God. And he gives us these disciplines in order that we may be brought closer to him. And so for Jonah, being swallowed by the fish, it was a discipline. It was a mercy of God so that Jonah would cry out to God. I don't know if you paid attention to chapter 1. There was a storm that was hurled Jonah's way. 
and the deadliest catch crew that were on the ship were shaking in their boots like schoolgirls, man. These guys were scared. They were praying to every god imaginable, and they went down to the deep part of the boat, and they said, Jonah, wake up, pray to your god, and Jonah doesn't pray. He goes to the ship. They cast lots, which something powerful about the lots that are cast by man because it's the Lord that determines it. And as Jonah is revealed to be the one, he says, I fear God. Really? Well, you didn't pray. You didn't pray up to this point. He'd rather die than be rescued. He'd rather die than repent. He'd rather die than turn the way that God wants him to go. But Jonah didn't have a choice in the matter, did he? He went down into the water thinking he was dead and then he was found life. And it isn't until he's in the belly of the great fish that he cries out to God. Sometimes it takes us having to go down. If you read the, uh, the passage, especially in chapter 1, you see he goes down to Joppa, down into the ship to Tarshish to flee the presence of God, down into the inner parts of the ship to sleep, down in, deep into the sea. He was sinking down, he was sinking down, he was sinking down. And it's in that depth that he begins to pray. He says, I cried out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. (laughs) Sheol is the place of the dead, it's nothingness, but yet in that place, God hears his voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. (laughs) I mean, what a beautiful gift that we see revealed here in Jonah's, in in the depths of God's mercy. That the depths of God's mercy causes us to cry out to God. Causes us to see our sin. You know, Jonah couldn't blame this on anybody else. If you're going to truly cry out to God, you've got to own it. You've got to own your sin. You've got to own your rebellion. You've got to own this distance between you and a holy and righteous God. You can't blame anybody. You are the one that's responsible for it. The only one whose problems that this world should be blamed on at this point is you. You've got to own it. And Jonah owns it. He cries out to the Lord in his distress. It was he that brought this on. Tim Keller says, with 2020 hindsight, we can see that the most important lessons we've learned in life are a result of God's severe mercies. They were events that were difficult or even excruciating at the time, but later came to yield more good in our lives than we could have ever foreseen. <laughs> How many of you have, have experienced that? You've been through something. You've gone through something. This difficulty and that difficulty caused you to feel pressed and confined and with no way out. And you've wondered, how is any good going to come out of this? But with 2020 hindsight, we know that I wouldn't be the same if that didn't happen. And I'm better because of it. That's the way God's grace works. That's the way transformation works. That's the way change works. We're not willing to change on our own. Trust me, I hate waking up at 5 a.m. on Wednesdays working out with guys that are just like pushing me to the ground for crying out loud. Where's Caesar? He's not here. He's like Jonah for crying out loud. Get Caesar over here. He'd laugh with me. Um, 
You, we need a change, don't we? We need people to help us. We need God to show us. And God is willing to give us his mercy and grace in a very severe way to cause us to wake up to it. The second thing we see is that Jonah longs for God's presence. He longs for God's presence. How does he long for God's presence? Look at with me in verse 4. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon, again upon your holy temple. He's feeling this distance. He's feeling this chasm because he sinned against a holy and righteous God. And he longs for a reconnection. I mean, there's something powerful in life, even with our imperfect fathers. To know that separation is so painful and we'd never want it. And I've known and seen people walk through that separation in the pain of it. But the work of a holy father who's perfect, not your earthly father who's imperfect. And by God's grace, we'll see more kids raised up with imperfect fathers that point us to Jesus. But Jonah saw the work of the perfect and holy God, and he longed for God's presence. The temple represented the presence of God. Josiah talked about it earlier. And to go to the temple meant that you had to go recognizing that your sins, because you were going there pulling a goat or a bull or a ram with you. And the blood of that goat or bull or ram had to be spilled in order for you to experience the presence of God. And the only thing that that bull or goat or ram could do was was clean the sins that you've confessed or that you've already committed, but it couldn't promise you the guarantee of the future that you would have your sins cleansed and atoned for. The sacrifice wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. And so something in Jonah longs for the perfect presence of God, for the perfect presence of God. And that's only found through Christ. Because the perfect presence of God gives us God, not for the past, not only for the present, for the future. Because if you've read the rest of Jonah, you know he's still a moony crybaby. You know he's still an idiot. (laughs) He's a bonehead. And you see it. I talked with someone in chapter 4 and they're like, I don't remember the story going that way. And I'm like, I don't either. But that's the way it goes. And it's like, this is weird. But this is life because you've had those time of genuine repentance, genuine longing for the presence of God. And you've still been a whitey moaning crybaby, haven't you? I know I have. And I've needed God's grace. And I've longed for God's presence. And here's what it says is that God's presence is always in Jesus. Yes and amen in Christ. The, the world actually longs for this presence. This is why God sent Jonah to Nineveh, because the world actually longs for this presence. Um, my daughter is uh, in fifth grade now, and every year her school does an art contest, and Adeline just loves art. She just loves these art contests. Every year she gets excited. She wants to do it. And so there's a theme every year, and this year the theme is global peace. So Adeline comes into my uh, room the other day. I'm in the middle of working. She comes in and she says, Daddy, I need your opinion on something. If you want my ear, just say, hey, I need your opinion on something, right? And Adeline knows. And when your kid, though, comes to you and says, I need your opinion on something, they really don't want your opinion on something. I'm starting to find that out. And she says, she says the, the art contest this year is on global peace. She says, I was thinking, what do you think about this? I was thinking, I was thinking, I want to I draw the world, the globe, 
And I want God's hands to be on the globe. And in the middle of it, I want to put the cross. Because God is holding the world in his hands by the power of the cross. She said, what do you think about that? (laughs) I want to cry. (laughs) It was so beautiful. Because with God's presence comes God's peace. And the world longs for peace. Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, as Jonah understood, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Hold me. He's got the whole world in his hands. It's good news. Third thing we see is there's a hunger for the word of God. A hunger for the word of God. Let me read it to you. Jonah 5, 2, chapter, verses 5 through 7. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped up around my head and at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You you see the hunger of the word of God demonstrated by Jonah being squeezed in what comes out of him. If you read the the text, you'll see uh, in your Bible, there's a lot of different reference points that are marked there. And those reference points are actually the Psalms. Jonah knew the Psalms. He had them memorized. And so when Jonah was squeezed, what came out of him? It was the word of God. Because those things that he learned when he was a child, he recalled when he grew older. This is why, parents, you've got to raise your kids up in the Word of God. You've got to. Because I'm telling you, there's a great chance that they're going to go away from it. There is a great chance. I mean, the chances, you know them. If you're a parent, you've seen it. If if your kids have grown over, you've seen it. But you teach your kids the Word of God, not so that they'll always hold on to it, so that they might remember it when they need it, and that they may return to it. And here's Jonah returning to the Word of God In his despair. His cry actually sounds so similar to Psalm 40 verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. It was the word of God that was recalled by Jonah when he was squeezed and he put his trust back in God's word. To put trust in God's word is to put trust in God himself because God's word is God's word. It's from him. It's his word to us. And so he hungered for God's word. We also see that there is a compassion upon others. Verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. The place that God was calling Jonah was 
to a place where those people there paid regard to vain idols and had forsaken the steadfast love of the Lord. Nineveh was a great city in need of a great Savior. If you do some of the history on Nineveh and you do some of the research, you'll know why Jonah wouldn't have wanted to go. You, would, you know why Jonah ran, because you would probably do the same thing. In fact, after reading the passage, I could say, I'm Jonah. I'm like him. Because Nineveh was a deep and dark place, a brutal place, and it brutalized Israel. I mean, they were an enemy of God. They were an enemy of Israel. How could God love his enemies? How could God love the murderous people of Nineveh who sought to destroy Israel? But now, now Jonah is brought to see God's love and grace and compassion for those who pay vain regard to idols. Idols are false gods that are set up to worship. They're unworthy of our worship. I mean, the irony of idols is that we make them. (laughs) I mean, if you're making something and you're worshiping it, that should say, hey, listen, alert, alert, don't worship it, (laughs) right? It's not worth it. If you've made it and you're worshiping it, then we got a problem. But that's the world, isn't it? We make, we fashion for ourselves these idols. And when we fashion for ourselves these idols, we say yes to the idol and we say no to the Lord. And we pay vain regard for them in that it forsakes the steadfast love of God. And what Jonah is seeing here is that he's called to love these people. He's called to have compassion upon those who forsake the steadfast love of God. Tim Keller says, idols are spiritual addictions. Uh, If you want to do a little bit more homework on idolatry, I recommend a man named Tim Keller. Tim Keller, actually, he he wrote my sermon, by the way, uh, pretty much. Um, (laughs) Idols are spiritual addictions. They're things that we craft that our heart says, I need. Our heart says, I need more than the Lord. So you can say you love the Lord with your voice, But really, on Monday, man, if you're just all about the paycheck, then guess what's your idol? Money. If you say that you love the Lord, but you really desire that that partner for marriage so much so that you forsake the love of the Lord to get that partner for marriage that you don't have and you really, really want and you think that's going to give you fulfillment, then that's giving over the love of God and seeking the love of an idol to fill you. We forsake and turn from the steadfast love of God when we long for people's approval. I can be devastated and crushed when I don't get people's approval. But guess what? God's called me to be a pastor. And like, I've got to say some uncomfortable stuff to people. And they're not going to like me because of it. And so I have to turn to him for his steadfast love rather than the steadfast approval of people. Because guess what? I don't care how good you are and how much approval of people you get. It ain't steadfast and it ain't that good. And you've got to seek the steadfast love of God. These spiritual addictions are which drive a wedge between us and God. I want to tell you the confessions of an idolater. Uh, Anybody ever heard of Mike Tyson? I practiced his voice. I couldn't do it I, in, in preparation here. I couldn't do it. I'd, I'd absolutely make a fool of myself. 
But a few weeks ago, um, Alabama, Crimson Tide, college football season. Who's ready? Woo, woo. No? UCF, go Knights. Oh, yeah. There we go. I got one. I see that hand. Okay. Um, so uh, Mike Tyson was speaking for uh, Coach Saban and uh, giving a motivational speech, ironically enough. Mike Tyson giving a motivational speech to college football players. But what he said was striking. He said, I had no reason to show love to anybody. The more I hurt people, the more people loved me. The more I knocked guys out, the more I broke their ribs, broke their eye sockets, the more people loved me. So what was I to think? I hurt everybody. I hurt women. I hurt my friends. I hurt strangers. I had no concept of myself. I didn't know who I was. I was this boxer who hurt people. I always had to be Iron Mike. You know what Mike Tyson has learned or is learning? Is that idols are nothing. Idols are nothing. And I'd love to say that Mike Tyson has put his faith and hope in Jesus Christ. I, I don't think he has. But one of the things that we learn is idols are worthless. And what happens with idolatry is that we seek this idol to fulfill us. And if it doesn't fulfill us, we just find a new idol. Because our hearts are idol factories. But yet, the pursuing love of God says we're like him. We've turned to things to seek love and approval in those things. And the result is I just hurt me, myself, and I hurt others, and I don't know who I am. This is where we as Christians, like God calling Jonah, are called to Orlando to tell the world what it means to put our identity in Jesus Christ. My identity is not in being a pastor. My identity is not in being a father. Your identity is not in your job. Your identity is not in your career. Your identity is not in your marital status. Your identity is not in the things that the world tells you to put your identity in because that's a vain idol, but your identity is in Christ. And we, as God's church, are called to tell of his goodness and grace and glory in that. And we do that by the last part, pursuing holiness. Pursuing holiness. Verse 9. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I, I want you to notice that it wasn't God saving Jonah because Jonah prayed this prayer. I want you to notice that God saved Jonah and then Jonah prayed this prayer. <laughs> it wasn't Jonah's obedience that, God ca that caused God to save him. It was God's salvation that brought about obedience. That's grace. You get that mixed up, you don't have Christianity because there's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. If so, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die? But what Christ does, does cause us to pursue obedience. If you've genuinely put your faith and hope and love in Jesus Christ, you will cry out to God. There is no one that are going to fill the, the, the myriads of saints in heaven that have yet to cry out to the Lord. And we know that the beauty of God is for the thief on the cross who at O dark 30, right before death, cries out to him and to the child who cries out to him. It is all a gift and grace of God. And it causes us to say, Lord, I want to be holy as you're holy. 
These five things that we see in Jonah are for revival-ready people. People that want to see revival in our heart. People that want to see revival in our cities. If you want to see revival in your heart, there's five things right in the middle of this prayer that you could start right now. Crying out to God. Longing for His presence. Hungering for the Word of God. Having compassion upon others and pursuing holiness. That's the recipe for revival, but it's only a gift of grace. Because listen, salvation doesn't belong to us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so we say to King Jesus, yes and amen. Because he brings about revival through his work, not ours. So listen, where are you running? Where are you running today? Where have you put those boundary markers in your life and in your heart that says, God, you can't go there. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to refuse to trust you if you go there. I'm willing to die if you try to get me to do that. Well, the choice wasn't Jonah's, was it? And then the, the last verse of the text, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up upon the dry land. How, how gruesome, isn't it? I mean, it wasn't like this beautiful picture to where the, 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 the fish vomited Jonah and a cruise ship came by, and he went into the buffet at Royal Caribbean. It wasn't it. I'm actually looking forward to my cruise in a couple weeks, if you can't tell already. Um, it was Jonah being vomited out. I mean, he, his face hit the sand, and it cut his face. It was gross. It was disgusting. He was the guy that smelled like fish all the time. He couldn't get rid of the fish smell. I mean, if you're three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, you're going to smell like fish all around all the time, and people won't want to be around you. And they're going to say, why do you always smell like fish? It's because a fish swallowed me. Oh, really? You're crazy. That's Jonah. But this is us. The Jews in, in, in Yom Kippur, one of the traditions they have is they read Jonah. And at the end of it, they say, I am Jonah. I want us to read Jonah and I want us to say, I am Jonah. But I want to say what the Jews haven't yet. I want us to say, I am Jonah and I need Jesus. <laughs> I am Jonah and I need Jesus. Because I've run and I've rebelled from God. And I'm in need of his grace and mercy. Let's pray. Father. We thank you so much that you come after rebels like us. That God, you give us severe mercy. You strike us with affliction. You allow us to endure hardship and pain, not to harm us, but to heal us. We're not people that you just want to fix. People who you want to make new. You love us more than anyone could ever love us in the whole wide world. And we thank you for it. And we thank you that Jesus spent three days and three nights in that cave, in that tomb. And that God, while the life wasn't in him, you were not far. And that your Holy Spirit awakened in him what you've awakened in those who've trusted in you and believed in you. And that is everlasting life in the great name of Jesus Christ. And I thank you that the story of Jonah isn't a story about Jonah, but it's a story about Jesus. It's not the story of a great fish or a stormy sea. It's the story of a great Savior. And that right now, Lord, we might be running. But Lord, it's your grace that causes us to do a beeline back to Jesus. So we turn to you in Jesus' name. Church says together, amen. We're going to... Stand.
Pastor Josiah will give us instruction for communion. Let's worship God together.